Welcome to the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. So put that spreadsheet away, grab a beverage, and enjoy the conversation. I'm your host, Justin Lane. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome to today's show, Bettina Kamara. I have not had the pleasure of meeting Bettina in person, though I've been a follower of her on LinkedIn and always enjoy when she posts up about sales compensation. Recently, she had really outstanding posts about sales compensation communication, and I thought to myself, we need to have her on the sales compensation show. Bettina, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and, to be here. And for the folks who are listening that aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about your background in sales compensation and what you're up to today? Yes, sure. So yeah, um, I have a 20 plus year experience in sales compensation. I worked for a couple of companies like Pfizer, Pfizer's Data, Microsoft, HP, Computer Associates. So yeah, I'm running my own business, Bcomp, since April this year. And now I'm advising companies and individuals on sales compensation. I'm originally from Germany, but I grew up in Nigeria and now I'm in the UK or in London since 17 years. So yeah, I'm, I'm a sporty person in my private life. I do like running, yoga, Pilates, anything, body pump and so on. And my friends say that I'm a good cook. So I'm always excited if someone wants to exchange recipes with me. Very nice. Now, recently, or maybe not so recently, you quit a job full-time at Fiserv to begin BComp and become self-employed. What were some of your drivers behind that decision? I had a personal life-changing event. So my father died and in February this year. And I thought like, yeah, I know it's, it's now or never really the time to do, to do something for me, run my own business, do what I'm passionate about, do what I love, step out of the corporate world and, and really run my own business. My, my parents were always, yeah, they were, they were always running their own business. So I just basically follow in their footsteps. Yeah. So a bit of an inspiration yes, there. Clearly. And then how was that transition went? Oh, that was like a huge learning curve. Yeah. So I attended a lot of courses about what do you need to consider when you run your own business and where to get business from. I talked with a lot of people um, in the industry and in other industries. And yeah, luckily I had my first customer right away, which was a really self-confident booster. I thought like, yes, it is a niche uh, market that I'm in, but there is a market for it. So yeah, I'm in it to last. Now, so you've been in sales compensation longer than I have. I think when I looked at your profile, maybe back in 1995 is when you took your first sales compensation job. Talk to me about what's changed in sales comp from 1995 to 2022, almost 2023. Yeah. So 1995, I worked in finance, but I was looking also after sales compensation so what has changed? A lot of th things have changed. So back in the days, there was no technology really available. People were just 
paying sales people without the idea even of driving behavior with sales compensation. Sales compensation was just another bucket on your in your, in your PL basically, but had nothing to do with what do we want to get out of the sales people? Why are we paying them? Yeah. So there were more focus on sales methodologies and these kind of things, but not at all of what do I really want to get out of out of the sales compensation? What's my strategy? Yeah. I feel like it's been through maybe three evolutions or waves. And I think when I started, maybe 99, 2000 timeframe, people thought about sales compensation as a math problem that we had to get right. And then I think it shifted into this idea of behavior. How do we motivate reps? How do we retain and recruit reps into the organization? And then I think more recently, you know, people have started to think about the idea of prospects and customers. Like, what is that experience like on their side? And what sort of buying experience are we delivering through the sales compensation plan? Does that mirror kind of your journey? So nowadays, um, when I advise customers, I'd say you don't only need to pay your sales sales uh, sales folks on what they're doing, but also on how they're doing it. You want them to be polite to the customers. You want them, you want a good customer experience. You want them to learn about products, new products and all of it. Yeah. So you want them to be engaged. You want them to take your, your KPIs into consideration. Sure. Everyone gets a base salary for a reason, but just paying sales comp- compensation for growing the business is nowadays not enough anymore. You really need to have a how element in there somewhere. And yeah. that can be through promotions, through non-monetary stuff. Yeah. So there are many options to to build this in. Do you do any work on in Europe on the continent? Wherever companies wherever um, it is. I go anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. No limitations there. What came to mind is thinking about the the idea of a regulatory environment, how different countries perceive or think about sales compensation. And I think that people in the United States or North America, you know, we have this centric view of our of our issues and problems. And I think as you get outside the United States, you know, there's certainly things around pay mix as an example, maybe not as aggressive. We don't have the idea of works councils uh, here in the States. And so anything else come to mind that maybe is different that you want to educate or inform our, our U.S. listeners about how sales comp might differ? In- By all means, we have multiple languages. We have multiple currencies. We have multiple local laws that override anything. Yeah, so... When your CEO wants something, still the local law is more, yeah? So we have GDPR, we have some other regulations that you need to consider when you select a tool or when you exchange data. Italian employees don't want to see their comp statement in US dollar. They don't want to see their their quota in US dollar. Same goes for German people. I have experience with, with, um, so Poland, for example, their English uh, language knowledge is normally not the best, yeah. So you need to translate a lot, yeah. So if you have clawback clauses, for example, clawback in Poland, not happening, yeah. So if you design something, you need to take these kind of things into consideration. And no one has the knowledge of the regulations and rules in every country. But I'm fortunate enough, I know a lot of people, so I can always reach out to people in that particular country 
who have that knowledge that are willing to share that with me. Yeah, sales compensation to me has always been interesting because it is this intersection of multiple disciplines. The finance team is involved from modeling costing and they're concerned, you know, from the accrual function and audit trail. I think sales always wants to to motivate their reps and, and maybe to a large degree pay people more. And then HR is certainly concerned with regulatory environment and, and the legal aspect. And I think that's an interesting point that you bring up that in the here, in the States, in some states, the sales compensation plan is a legal document between the employer and the employee. It must be signed, you know, electronically or uh, or a wet signature. It's interesting to think about that idea that what you said, no one person knows all the laws around sales compensation, but the idea of having a, a partner network to be able to figure that thing out. Yeah. You know what my favorite thing about sales compensation is why I always loved it? You always have a front row seat. So when you are dealing with sales compensation, you are the person that is involved with HR, with finance, with leadership, with legal, with marketing, product development. You are in the in the seat where you where you get, get the know-it-all position, basically. In sales compensation, I need to know what new products do we bring on the market next year? Do we want to go to new markets? What's finance view? What is our budget limitations? HR, are we going to a next round of, of redundancies and so on? In sales compensation, when you do the plan design, you really have a front row seat. And I always found this extremely exciting. And now that I run my own business, I have a sneak peek into so many different industries and I don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's fantastic. It's absolutely mind blowing, exciting. <laughs> yeah. From the folks that you've talked to this year in your new organization, have you got any prevailing trends or anything that you see is coming up that maybe you didn't expect? I do get more questions now about technology. So it's not okay. that they want to buy immediately, but they they know that technology is out there and they have it on their, their back burner, basically. Yeah? So they, they know that, that this is something that they want to look into maybe next year or the, or the year after when they are growing a bit more. Yeah, so I've been involved on the technology side as well, pretty much the, my whole career. And I've certainly seen people invest in the administration of sales comp. So the crediting, the calculation, the reporting, the areas where I thought it would take off more you know, in support of the design, territory optimization, um, and then something to help out with quotas, you know, kind of this evolution of what we used to call ICM into this world of SPM. And uh, what have you seen about, you know, are companies starting to think about, let's just pick territories as an example, because I always think of sales comp territories and quotas as a three-legged stool. You can't really think of one in isolation without the other two, or you've got a problem at the end. Are you hearing companies thinking about doing something around territories? Do you they, all, they all do, yeah. So um, account setting, territory um, setting, go, proper go-to-market strategy, that is what they all have in mind, yeah. So they, they do want to get this right, have the right salesperson for the right set of accounts for the right territory, yeah. So um, my actual client, um, they have country salespeople and then they have pen European sales um, uh, folks on top of that who deals with the, with the large accounts. They know that they have a product that, that, that works anywhere, yeah, without any amendments really. Yeah? So yeah, it is, they all look into, into, into proper 
matching sales with the right set of accounts with the right territory and to make that work and make this whole again also. Yeah, I think one of the things that's came up in some of the other interviews that I've done for this season of the podcast is this concept of fairness in sales compensation. And on the other end of that conversation, the idea that sales comp is inherently unfair. You're rewarding the top performers at a disproportionate rate uh, to the bottom performers, right? To, to try to, uh, you know, you have accelerators and bonuses and all kinds of things for the top of the sales force. Maybe there's a president's club or a trip, you know, at the end of the year. Territories, I think the same thing. People want them to be equitable in some fashion. But you mentioned this idea of matching up the right opportunities with the right seller. How, could, how do companies think about these or balance out these two ideas between we want things to be fair, but at the same time, there's some, because it's pay per performance and performance is differentiated, it's not going to be fair always. It cannot be fair all the time, yeah, but that's all right also in my, from my point of view. If you have a salesperson that do not perform, you look into into all the details. Yeah, has he gone? Is he going through a rough time privately and so on and so on? Yeah. So, and have I matched him to the right set of accounts or the right territory? Is he in the right position in my organization? He might be a fabulous salesperson, but he do feel intimidated by working with CEOs. Yeah. So he might be be in a, in a different. A position he, he would be better yeah so is he a hunter or is he a farmer yeah so you want to match the skill set of your salesperson also to what you you assign him to later and if there is a skill set that is missing train the person yeah don't let go of a good salesperson um invest in sales yeah so there are techniques that people can learn to improve their their selling skills yeah one of my first jobs out of university was a sales job, inside sales on the phone. And every Monday at lunchtime in the lunchroom, there would be that stacked ranking report of who had sold the most top to bottom. And you would go in and try to find you know, where you stood on it. And it took me a while in my career to understand that because at that time, we hadn't really thought about the idea of balanced or optimized territories in any way, that it was partially a report about who are the best sales reps, and it was partially a report about who had the best set of accounts. That's not true. I would not say that they naturally have the best set of accounts. A good salesperson and and a not so good person salesperson. Yeah, it's like if you go to Formula One. Yeah, so mm-hmm. put a put a Ayrton Senna in a bad car, he will still be, be would still have smashed it. Yeah, so. Yeah, it is. It is also about being being a, a good salesperson. Yeah, so yeah, and it, this is I love the stack ranking personally. It's not allowed in every country, by the way, in Europe, but it really triggers the salesperson's comp- competitiveness. So every salesperson wants to see their name on the list. Yeah, so yeah. if you are a good salesperson, it's just no option that your name is not on the list. Yeah, so if you really want to want to get them going you have something like that, yeah? So, and salespeople, they like that, yeah? So good salesperson want to be in a competition with others. They don't want to go at home at five and think like, hmm, were I good today or not? Hmm, I don't know. Yeah, there's some objective measuring stick of were you successful or not. I love the Formula One analogy. I've many times described sales compensation as the racing fuel for a Formula One car, you still have to have a great driver and a car and a team and all the other things to win. But without it, it's pretty difficult to do well. Yeah, definitely. 
Here's another question. So you've, again, you've been involved in sales compensation for a while. So I'm always interested because I think that the longer folks have been around sales compensation, the more we think about things the same. How often do you think sales compensation plans should be reviewed? I would say at least quarterly. Quarterly, so, okay. Yes. So they sh- you want to also look for look for soft measures. Yeah. So you don't want to look only for for hard measures like my revenue or my market share. Yeah. So you would also want to want to look at cancellations. Um, you want to look into my, the backlog. Have I got enough in my pipeline? Are my processes working? How is my forecast a- accuracy and these kind of things? So just going by revenue, how much is my revenue versus the compensation I paid? That's one measure, but it's not really meaningful if you don't look at all the other things. Yeah. So there are there are many many things that you that you can consider, and you really should set them up in the beginning of the year. So what do I what do I think is the measure for having a successful sales plan, a successful salesperson, and a success for my company? So these are the th- three things that you want to look for. No, I really like this idea of a quarterly review. When I asked the question, I was very much expecting the once a year answer because that's how I was, you know, taught in the consulting world uh, 20 years ago that you designed it and it was almost a fire and forget strategy. And then at the end of the year, once again, you took this backwards look as to what had happened and then you made changes. But, you know, the opinion or thought process was that you had to let it run for some period of time to see if it was really changing anything. And now I think with the accessibility and the, the amount of data that we have around, like you said, both hard measures, soft measures, that we can monitor it on a more frequent basis and and see if things are working the way we wanted them to and, and maybe make changes if needed. Yes, that's the point. If you measure during the year and you see this, is, this product sale is going downhill, why is it? Yeah, so you have the chance to implement measures that go against the trend and you can see like, oh, what do I need to push this product? Yeah, so is there something wrong with my product? Is what's going on? So if you measure or if you check more regularly and do a bit more deeper dive, um, you can work against the the trend and um, yeah, be more successful. Yeah, so at top of the show, I mentioned you recently had a post on sales compensation communication. I loved it. It had nice one, two, three, four, you know, a checklist of steps for for people to follow. And to me, this is one of the areas where people do a ton of work on the design project. And then at the very end, they fall down and fail to to communicate it to the field force in an effective manner. What do you think are what are some of the best tips you could share uh, for the folks listening today? Yeah, there are a couple of things. So number one, get everyone engaged yeah so you you should not never do it on your own yeah so you need to reach out to hr you need to reach out to finance you need to know know and understand the company strategies you should always have a rollout plan yeah so who is communicating what to when to whom yeah so that's very important because communication everyone in a company should know what your company strategy is not only the executive level yeah, so you need to, everyone in the company would like to support your, your strategy, but if they don't know it, how can they support it? And with the sales plan, what I usually did when I when I had my educational rounds with the sales folks, I would start always with, this is what we want from you and this is why we want it from you. Yeah, 
So, I mean, there are some elements that you can't reveal, like if you were planning a huge merger or these kind of things, yeah, that has impact on your share price. But other than that, you can communicate anything. And I get a lot of um, feedback from the sales folks like, oh, that's the first time we ever understood a sales plan. And then they are more successful because then they know what is expected from them. Yeah. I also start my education around usually with, do you want to drive a Porsche or do you want to drive a Golf? <laughs> and then they not normally look at me very confused, like because of they, of course, they want to drive a Porsche. Yeah. So in my both very good cars. Yeah. But um, yeah. And then I, then I explain to them what they need to do to drive. Here's the steps to get there, what you need yes. to do. Are the steps to get there. Yeah. Nice. That's and a good I way. Make them hungry. Yeah? So I like, I like hungry salespeople. Now, you mentioned earlier like the different stakeholders. I think executives are certainly a stakeholders. What do they not understand about sales compensation or what do they get wrong when it comes to the design? Oh, they get so many things wrong. So number one is they just like trust everyone else in the organization that have done enough or maybe not, yeah. So they, they never check, yeah. So I've I've worked with some executives that when it comes to like, um, you need to sign this off our plan design for the next year. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's all right. I'm sure it will be all right. Yeah. So if the company is not really suffering, the attention that they pay to sales compensation is normally not the best. Yeah. So, and at the end of the day, they are the ones that have their heads stuck out. Yeah. So big times, if the company is going downhill, then that has to do normally with the companies not performing. Yeah. So how do you make the company perform? You you get your salespeople do a cracking job. Yeah. So try to everyone in the company needs to try to deliver above and beyond. How do you do this with salespeople? This is the only people really where you can drive a monthly, quarterly behavior to get there. So executives should really pay attention and ask the right question when it comes to quick plan design. First question, obviously, question everything. Yeah. So, why did you re- change the plan? What, yeah, what happened? Yeah. So, why is the old plan design not working anymore? Yeah. So, and then you, you expect them to, to give you an answer like strategy, economy, these kind of things. Yeah. So, the sales executive or the executive should have already in mind what he wants to hear as an answer, but he should, he should still very much poke everyone in the room to give him that answer, yeah? So what has changed? What are the measures that can can we measure what we have designed, yeah? So what is your communication plan? When are we rolling these the, the plans out? What is this costing me, yeah? So um, is it affordable? That's That makes everyone normally very nervous, yeah? So the the, the dollar question, yeah? So, <laughs> and then obviously, what what is the proof that the plan design worked and did not work? And what have you gotten got as a plan B if you're if it comes to H2 and we 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 seeing that your plan design is not working one of the the trends i've seen in sales and i think one trend was accelerated with the pandemic but the idea of inside sales versus field sales i think on the other end i've seen more and more companies start to break out the role of i'll call it a relationship manager customer success type manager certainly in the high-tech software world. So all of a sudden, we have a, you know, a very segmented chain of sales, lots of people interfacing with customers and kind of hands-offs and transitions. A couple questions here. So there's more hands in the pie and maybe not any more money to pay out. 
So kind of first question is, who should be eligible for sales comp? And then the second question would be, how do you make sure that not only is there strategic alignment with the company's goals, but there's strategic alignment across the customer journey throughout the company from rep to rep? Yeah. So yeah, that is a that is a layered question. <laughs> so one of the trends that I see is that companies look more now into team targets. So there are still, I mean, a brutal hunt, hunter will always be a, a lonely wolf hunting on his own, yeah. But like SDRs and and customer so CSRs and so on, they companies look into having them on a team target. So that that is that is one of the trends I, I see at moment where they where companies think like mm-hmm. if they are a team target, then the the that will motivate people to work together. Yes. Uh, and persistent. you also pick up the one that is at moment not that well performing because of whatever reason. Yeah. So everyone has personal downfalls. Yeah. So and not everyone is always at, at the peak of his deliverable. Yeah. So mm. that's just human nature. But if you work in a team, the other thing that that it, that they are aiming for with, with that team thing is after the pandemic, there is no company spirit. There is no real team spirit anymore when when you have people forced basically to to work together that is creating that we are going back to the team spirit we are going back to having fun at work with my with our colleagues that's an interesting thought i hadn't really thought about this idea of building sales culture through team incentives yeah that's yeah that's one of the one of the trends trends i'm seeing yeah so and then the other thing obviously need to need to need to so yeah, who should be sales? Who, who should be earning sales compensation? Only the one that is carrying the quota for it. Yeah. So if you double quota, so if everyone has a quota for the same deal, fine, pay them. Yeah. So because this is, has a certain cost impact. But um, if the employee does not carry the quota for that, well, there's always exceptions and so on and so on. Yeah. So if let's say you you know someone in the company that I want to have as a customer. And you bring it to me, I will still pay you like a bonus or something, yeah. But other than that, if yeah, and for, for that kind of of activity, I always recommend you need to sort everything before your employees start the work. So you need to set the expectations right. So if I don't want to pay you for your hard work that you put in, you should know before that because otherwise you will be very very disappointed with mm. why why have you not been paid. Yeah. So, but if I have my my teams structured and set up correctly, and you know exactly with whom you should be collaborating and what is your task, yeah. So then you would not waste your time and the company's time on stuff that I will not want to compensate you on. So but, I mean, yeah, yeah, of different. course. Yeah. So, so in my opinion, only the people that can influence sales should be on on sales plan. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want marketing on it. I don't want anyone in customer support. Yeah, so I just want people that really actively close a deal. Yeah, touch the deal, impact the revenue to some degree, because it's a, I always think of sales comp as it's a revenue share of some sort, whether you're paying on straight revenue or gross profit, you're saying that they influence revenue. I'm going to share some percentage of that with with the team that did that. Yeah, there is an argument for, so some companies are set up that they have a salesperson and they have a pre-sales person attached mm-hmm. to the salesperson. So they always go out as a, as a double team, basically. 
never alone, always together. And some companies do pay the pre-sales person on top, like a little amount, and but some companies don't. That's really depending on the setup and the and the impact the pre-sales person has on the, on the sale. So one of the things when I first came into the workforce, pretty much dominated by the baby boomer generation. My generation, I don't know if we ever had the majority of a sales force from Generation X. Uh, we certainly have seen now the millennials, probably the predominant uh, majority of, of sellers on, a t- on any given team that you'll talk to. And Gen Z, you know, coming in on the heels of that. Any advice for companies with this, with this idea of a, a multi-generational workforce? How do they need to think about younger people versus older people? Are they motivated the same in sales or do you think there's a difference? There is a huge difference. So the way they are motivated. So my generation, we wanted to have a house. We want to, we also have a car. Yeah. And and these kind of things. The generation Z and also like even the millenniums, they are more interested in traveling experience. Yeah. So they are driven by, if you want to motivate them, send them somewhere, but don't give them some stuff. Yeah. So they all want to earn money, yeah? So that's the common thing. But if you want to really have the recognition above the, the monetary thing, they also work much more with with the, with the public recognition, yeah? So they do want to have their name out there and they do want to hear like, hey, you did really well. This is now an internal communication where we, where we give you praise and you're the best rock star in the world, yeah? So that's also the same for everyone. Um, But when it comes to like President's Club and so on and so on. So back in the days when the people came back from President's Club, oh, I got my Mont Blanc fountain pen. Yeah. So yeah, you can spare this. Yeah. So (laughs) Gen Z really don't care for Mont Blanc fountain pen. (laughs) I wouldn't mind one, but but I think what what you're saying is that incentives still matter. People want money. That's probably one of the reasons why they went into sales as a career. But there's more of a holistic approach to reward and recognition across the generations. They do also different things with the money they earn. Yeah. So oh, okay. um, my generation would would um, put down a mortgage. They spend it on a trip to Bali or South mm-hmm. America. So your earlier example of the Porsche versus the Golf, maybe it's a trip to Bali versus a trip to uh, the Dover Cliffs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. funny. I would use that. How do you think sales compensation is going to change in the next 10 years? Any insight into the future? Oh, I'm pretty sure that we will see. I mean, at the moment, there are technology companies popping up left, right, and center. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in, in, from France, from Holland, from India, from like everywhere. I see so many companies yeah, coming up at the moment. Yeah. So um, so the, the big companies like exactly Verisent and, and so on, they are having competition out there. Mm-hmm. And some of this agile young companies, they they will give them a run for the money, that's for sure. And they also fill a market that is more tailored to the small and medium-sized business. Because the general idea is that if you have like around 50 salespeople, that's the time when you should latest look into investing into technology and move away from the Excel that you had before. Because there is a huge benefit of um, using technology. If you want to Do you think that, that that number of 50 has come down 
as like you said, some of these newer, more agile companies come into the space? Or is that pretty much the point where up until then, spreadsheets, a napkin may still work, but over 50, you have to start thinking about applying some technology to the problem, or maybe you're just not going to get it right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you are, if you are, have you, let's say you grow up to 200 and then you want to move into technology, that's a much bigger effort to then move into technology than if you are just 50. It's just making everyone's life more easy and also the admin work, because if you do it on Excel sheets, you need five people to manage it. If you move to technology early, you're fine with one. Two questions I like to ask everybody that comes on the show and to wrap it up. And the first one is, who in the world of sales compensation would you most like to take to lunch? Um, that would be the fabulous David Kicelli from Alexander Group. I can speak with him for hours and days about sales compensation. I was fortunate enough to, to work uh, with Dave uh, at the Alexander Group, and I agree. Very entertaining speaker, and the, the depth and wealth of knowledge that he has uh, is pretty amazing. Yes, I, I met him a couple of times, and I and, uh, was always yeah, amazed. Last question. Is there a book, whether it's specific to sales compensation, sales, sales management, but is there a book uh, that you would recommend to people to go read? Um, there is a book that is not brand new on the market. Um, that the, the book is named Game the Plan. Mm -hmm. And um, the subtitle is Every Sales Rep's Dream, Every CFO's Nightmare. Uh -huh. And the author is Christopher Cabrera. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. So I always take this hand, or not always, but I very often take this hand and just browse through it. And there's always something I find amusing, insightful, teachable. I'm great, great book. And you yeah. that boring, travel guide to Lake Como. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Bettina, I want to say once again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I loved the conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I did. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. All right. We'll put some links to BCOM around the show. And hopefully people, if you need help uh, with sales compensation plan design, please go take a look at what she has to offer. Mm, yes. Find me on LinkedIn. All right. And with that, I'll tell the audience, stay smart out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, and have a lovely day. The Sales Compensation Show was brought to you by Forma AI, the world's most advanced sales compensation solution. To learn more about how Forma AI makes sales comp more valuable to your business, visit forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales compensation in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thank you for listening and stay smart out there.